I'm so excited to have my friend, Dr. Holly. She is famous from Dance Moms, but she's also an accomplished educator. She's a principal, a former principal and mother of three beautiful, talented children. And she is a parenting expert. We actually met at a meta event where she gave wonderful advice about some pretty tough issues. So I'm really excited to have her here today. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I was honored to be invited as a guest. So I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> what a beautiful oh, introduction. Yeah. I'm going to have you introduce <laughs> me every day. <laughs> well, we met at this event and you just had such like grace and expertise and you have this perspective that as a child psychiatrist i will never have you are an educator you, you saw hundreds of kids daily and dealt with parents teachers school systems and you know it's so important to think about your world because children spend the majority of their day at school so true and as we lead up to September 1st, um, we know that kids are going to be getting ready for school. Some issues old and new will be popping up. And so we really wanted to hear from you about how to tackle these issues. It's so funny to you say that because we were doing, um, I, I was doing a podcast earlier today and I said, oh my goodness, this is back to school time. I love back to school time because it's time to go shopping. You're preparing for the school year. And I would always tell my faculty and my students as well, in fact, the opening days, it's like for me, I'm an eternal student. I love school. I, I love learning. I love school. I think it's important for adults in the lives of children, um, to, for, for children to see adults learning and enjoying learning on an ongoing basis. And you just have that. Through, they see you not always knowing the answer and being inquisitive and they too want to model that in their own lives. So it's so important for kids to see your enthusiasm because they feed off of that energy. So anything you can do as a parent to be excited for the return to school, not for because kids will be out of the house, but just because that they get to learn and experience something new um, this coming school year. It's important. Well, this weekend I was shopping for my daughter's birthday party and I was at Walmart in New Jersey and the back to school section was just like ravaged. It was like, there was nothing left. I was there. I was there shopping. I'm kidding. No, I wasn't. But no, but it's, it, yeah, it, it does look like that. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like people just tear through that. Like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It looked like, you know, when there are these scares of storms and people go and buy all the, I was like, what happened here? Right. There's a run on bread and milk and like, why? Why bread and milk? Why do you need that? And it makes up a storm, but you always, first things to go. School supplies, all that has right? to go. During the year, they're plentiful. So I was like, I was thinking, I was like, what is the psychology of this? You know, like, <laughs> so I was looking for new skit ideas and I'm like, I get it. Like kids need a, a clean slate. They need yes. like, a fresh start. So this is a big business because of that. You yes. know, like Absolutely. think about when you and I were growing up, trapper keepers, like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we're dating ourselves. I definitely remember. Those. Right. <laughs> I had to have the unicorn trapper keeper because that meant that this is going to be a good year, you know, like all this magical thinking, you know? And so 
it made me think about some of my patients, you know, from last year. And I wonder if they're going to have some of the similar issues, the social anxiety, Mm -hmm. the separation anxiety. So as an educator and a principal, what, what type of advice, what tips do you give parents and families who are dealing with things like separation anxiety when your smaller kid is starting school? Well, that's natural and it's normal. I think first things first, I think for parents to recognize that is a normal part of developmental behavior. I think sometimes parents get so fixated and worried that their child is so different than the norm that something's like they're in dire straits, something has to be fixed right away. And things usually like that, it takes time. It's gradual. Don't try to rush it. Don't try to force it. And each child is different. Um, And recognizing how each child responds to that um, is also different. I think having ongoing communication, even when children are at a young age and um, kindergarten age, first grade, you need to have that dialogue with them to understand what are the things that might be triggering the anxiety. It could be a number of different things. It could be something as small for in your in your mind, because as an adult, you might think it's very small, but for a child, it might be, I won't have any friends. And the whole idea of not having a friend or a familiar face is very stressful, um, as well as not knowing a routine, not knowing the teacher, if the teacher's going to be nice or not in their mind, as well as something that's so new and foreign. If they're going to school for the first time, that can be very overwhelming a new building, a new space. So anytime that there is an opportunity that schools may allow students to go into the school, that is something that's beneficial. Take advantage of of those times. Any information that the school might send home about schedules, like the daily class schedule, um, things that might make children uh, excited about going to school the next day and having them kind of have some ownership of making some decisions as they move forward into the school year. So they feel like they are invested and they have some element of control, control at a, at a, at an age appropriate level so that they are excited about it. It could be something about choosing their lunch for that day. It could be um, finding opportunities and talking to their teacher. I think the most beneficial thing that parents can do is by having an open dialogue with the teachers you know teachers and parents and the child that's the partnership it's a triangle and the goal is always the success of the child and so if everyone keeps that as the focal point that should help tremendously in thinking about how can we make sure that that child is successful and what can we all do together to make sure that child is successful and teachers can be great resources in helping to address some of those concerns that parents have that we have to be very careful too. that we sometimes project our own concerns onto our children and that adds to the anxiety. I'm so glad that you said that. I'm glad that you said a lot of times the parents are anxious and they don't realize it. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of a case a couple of years ago where uh, frantically two weeks before school, I had a parent saying like, okay, we got the schedule, it's different. And they were just sounding so anxious. And so it was an opportunity to bring the parent in so they could do their own anxiety check. Right. And we talked about how it's so important that if you're anxious, your child picks up on it. So what you said, exactly what you said, the unknown is so scary. So if your child, a small child sees you freaking out about the unknown, guess what? You're their sense of safety. You're their barometer. So if they see you freaking out, they're going to freak out. 
And, and the whole thing, I think, and especially with anxious parents, they don't want to bother the teacher. They're like, oh, I don't want to bother them. I don't want to bother the principal. I don't want to be that parent. So they worry about worrying others. You know, that's how bad the anxiety is. That's so but true. You're, you're, you're saying they want you to bother them. The teachers want involved parents. So take out opportunities to take your child to the school, expose their brain to the thing that everyone's anxious about because exposure shows the child, shows you the parent that there's nothing to be afraid of, that it's going to be okay. Absolutely. You've had so many things and you're, it's so true. So parents will think, oh, and you think you have to solve everything. No, you, no, you don't. You don't have to solve that. That's not your domain. Yes, you know your child best. I will always tell a parent, you know your child better than anybody else. So never defer that to somebody else. That is your, your child is your child. However, at the same time, you should also rely on teachers and administration that they know how to best educate your child in that setting. And you have, there's a level of trust and you don't have to solve everything. You don't have to figure everything out and allow other adults in the community, in the school network, help you figure things out because they have a lot of experience. They've seen this before. I most often than not, they have had their experiences with separation anxiety, with parents who might be anxious, children who are anxious, and the familiarity of just going into a classroom, knowing where Susie Q is going to be able to sit, where her cubby is, and she's been able to, you know, put up herself. Sometimes even if just for parents, so I know what the schedule is going to be. So I feel comfortable with that. It, it makes such a big difference. And it's so funny that parents don't realize how much they create that ripple effect. They really just have no clue. <laughs> they don't. And, you know, sometimes parents are so anxious about the first day. They don't realize they're literally shaking. Yes. And crying as a child is being dropped off to school. Yes. So, so one of the tips I give them is if you have a friend whose kid is also going to the school, walk with that friend to school mm -hmm. or drive with that friend, meet up after for a coffee. Or if you have a dog, you know. We love our pets, you know, bring your pet with you because then you could comfort yourself with that <laughs> dog, you know? So parents sometimes need these very practical things that they already have access to. They just need reminders, you know, right. um, and, and encouragement. Um, so, so I want to shift gears to social anxiety now. Mm -hmm. So we talked about separation anxiety. That's when children have a hard time really stepping away from their attachment figure, you know, and uh, they miss them terribly and, and they think about them all the day and they can't really engage because of it. Uh, but social anxiety is different. You know, there are some very sensitive kids who get really afraid to talk in class or they feel like everyone's watching them. Even when they eat in school, um, they're, they think people are watching them. So they'll come back with a full lunch pail, you know, a full lunch box. Um, so, you know, tell us about some of the the tips that schools can really help uh, parents with, you know, children who have social anxiety. Social anxiety. It's so it's, that's a tough one because so many kids go through it. It's probably the more the norm than anything else. Even the kids that you think are the most popular kids and have everything together, most likely have some social anxiety too. And they also are questioning where they fit in, where they fit in, even in the, the, the social chain um, of command, if you will, and school and uh, like friendship circles and network. Um, I always stress upon kids in particular to focus on just having one good friend. 
Like if you have one good friend, you don't need to be the most popular in your mind, which means having like 10 friends or the most friends in your, in your grade level. Focus on having one good friend. You only need one good friend. And if you have one good friend, someone that you can trust, someone you can sit and have lunch with if possible, and if you can identify that one good friend, that's all you really need to be successful and happy. And you, as a parent, you want to make sure your child can identify one person. You don't need to find like how many people, just, just, just the one is really a good, solid start. And just also know that friendship circles will change over time and to recognize that they are going to change. And that also is very normal. Um, I think for schools, one of the things schools can do also is just maintain, because unfortunately with social anxiety too, you also have this whole um, sense of fear of bullying too, um, which also is kind of in tandem because that's the, the fear that I'm going to be left out. And there's bullying, which is a, a physical sense of bullying, but there's also this other kind of bullying where kids are ostracized and not included, which is another form of bullying, which is equally as traumatic. And the schools need to also be aware of that if that's occurring. Um, because sometimes the days of like, oh, that's what kids do. And that's just social norm. Like, it's not acceptable. It should not be tolerated. Um, the ideas, I remember years ago, we would have, uh, an, as a principal of a middle school, where you see a lot of this, you know, particularly happening. Um, faculty, we would notice at tables that there was an empty chair at a lot of ch at, at tables. And we didn't think anything of it as kids would walk by and they would find another place to sit at the table. But there was no one sitting at, this, at these empty chairs and yet kids were not allowed to sit there. And it was just a way of other kids being able to say, you can't sit at, the, at our table. And so it was a social exclusion. And so for teachers to be able to say, you cannot keep a seat open. If someone wants to sit there, you have to let someone sit there. You cannot just exclude someone and just hold a chair empty. But as an adult looking out at it, you wouldn't think anything of it because you would just see an empty chair. You wouldn't understand the importance of that chair being empty and that that was terrifying for someone to walk past and know they couldn't sit there or asked to sit there because that, 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 that seat was not available to them. So I think as adults, we have to be also very vigilant and recognizing when we see people not being included, being able to call kids out on that. Because when there are bystanders and also empowering our kids to be vocal bystanders, if they see something to speak up, because sometimes kids are like, oh, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to be the next target of bullying. But research shows if people speak up, it will stop 90% of the time. The bullying will, it will cease behavior. Like that behavior will stop because they've been called out on it. It's not like the bully is then going to target somebody new. You have that sense. I think that's just the, a normal human reaction. I think that's going to happen. But in reality, that very, very, very rarely ever happens. Yeah, I think that what you said about if you call it out, it'll stop. Mm -hmm. I think that's a myth like the myth that like, oh, it's just as normal. Mm -hmm. um, kids do this. There's nothing that can be done. Right. I think that that myth is very pervasive. Yes. And unfortunately so, because we know bullying is detrimental and that it just worsens. Like someone could have social anxiety, but then bullying leads to depression, you know, right. leads to a whole slew of other problems. Um, and so like the fact that 
we can do something about it and getting rid of this whole idea of the bystander effect where like, Oh, you see something, you, it's not your problem. You have no power. We need to get rid of that. Right. Absolutely. We have to get rid of that. And as a parent, you, I, I think in our day and age, we think, Oh, that's, you know, stay out of it. It's not your, it's not your problem. You all oh, be, thank goodness. It's not you. Well, it's not you today. It could be you tomorrow. Not, but if you, as, as a collective, as a community of people were vocal bystanders and active in the sense of like, well, I'm going to be a passive bystander and do nothing. I'm going to be an active bystander because this is my school. This is my environment. I want to feel safe in this environment. If there's a bully there, there's no one safe. No one's safe in that environment if you allow that bully to kind of terrorize everybody else. But if the community as a whole, there are more people who are not bullies than they are the bully. But if you give the bully carte blanche and all of this power over you, then they begin to terrorize the community. And that's, you can't have that. And there's, there are more, there's more power in numbers. Not that you have to do anything um, physical or threaten or anything like that. Just say, knock it off. And most often the bully will knock it off because they don't want to be challenged. They don't want anyone to kind of push back on them. That's not what they're looking for. And so they usually do back down. But as a parent, you need to also empower your kids that it's okay to do that. And as schools, we also want to encourage that as well. Uh, I'm not saying go around looking for a fight. Definitely don't do that. <laughs> we don't want to encourage that. But definitely if you see someone with a bullying situation, it's an imbalance of power. That's what bullying is. So if you see someone who's definitely taking advantage their, of their power, it could be social equity, and you see someone who has more social capital than somebody else, it's not fair. It's not a fair fight. It's not a fair argument. It's not a fair situation. That person needs some advocacy from somebody else who has maybe a little bit more social capital who can kind of nip this in the bud. And usually it does nip it in the bud pretty quickly. Yeah. And hurt people hurt people. There have been times where I, were, I was referred a patient mm -hmm. because that patient was bullying others. And it turned out that the bully was having, you know, some really terrible struggles at home. And yes. so in, in calling it out, you're not just helping the person who is, you know, basically being targeted. Mm -hmm. You're helping the one, the, the person who's being the aggressor. Right. Um, but you don't, you won't be able to help anyone if you don't do anything about no, it. Absolutely. And then, you know, I've, I've also had kids who have social anxiety and it's not because of a bully. It's just because they have social anxiety and being in a setting that's new, being in a setting where they may have to speak in front of a class, maybe have to read in front of a class, um, just all the idea of going into a, a cafeteria and not knowing who to sit with, that creates social anxiety. And that's a very real um, fear. It's terrifying. And if you can give kids some coping mechanisms just so that they can manage those moments so they don't feel overwhelmed and they feel like they have some um, level of control, it could be reading techniques. It could be something where they're just um, managing their senses, um, where they might just, it could be something where they're squeezing their hands or a stress ball, like nonchalantly. There are all sorts of things, and it's going to be different for each person, but if they can find a coping ex exercise or a routine that kind of grounds them, that doesn't let the situation escalate so that they feel a sense of a balance, like, okay, I can make it through this. And also kind of don't make it so insurmountable, like just small achievements, small goals. Like if you can get through this, like, let's do this and make it manageable. Like, oh, I achieved this. Okay. Then maybe you build from that over time. 
um, and also if you bring the school into it or the teachers into it, they could also find opportunities so that child has success. So sometimes for kids, it's the idea of being called upon in class. That could, the idea that that teacher is going to call upon me and you're just waiting all morning for that, you know, you're going to be called. Sometimes it's just a matter of the teacher will let the student know, I'm going to call on you at this time. So they have an arrangement or they know when you raise your hand or time, like this is your time, I will call you, call on you then. That helps to ease the social anxiety. So as much as you can include the school so we can manage, help manage it and keep it um, at a, in, a, in a way that a child can function. So they're learning because if the social anxiety is off the charts and there's no real learning is taking place because they're just, just so distracted by the anxiety of it all. I mean, absolutely. How can you fight? How, how can you learn if you're in fight or flight? If you're in constantly revved up, if your uh, autonomic, sympathetic nervous system is revved up and, and the things that you said, the things that you said about breathing, about stress balls, those are all evidence-based because when you have anxiety, your muscles are tense, mm-hmm. you're breathing shallow, your heart's racing. So these basic things like belly breathing, yes, using a stress ball, you know, like drinking a sip of water, all those tell your body that you're safe, start yes. to calm down, you know, start to like self-regulate and now you can learn. And they're easy and they're free, right? Exactly, exactly. It doesn't take like a lot to learn how to do these things. And you, some of it's trial and error. Some work better for people than others, but it also gives kids some some um, techniques in their toolkit. And that's the thing that you, that's part of school and part of growing up is that you want to equip your child with enough resources in their toolkit so they could be successful functioning members of society. So if this one thing didn't work, okay, there's another tool I can use and try this. And eventually they'll find the things that work for them. And some things might work in certain situations than, than others. Not all of them might work at all times, but it's important to have as many resources as possible and things that work that don't draw attention necessarily, that you can be discreet and do that. Because that's the other thing. Kids are very worried about Someone's going to see me. Someone's going to know. So you want to find things that are discreet that they can do that will provide um, some element of, of, of control. That's a challenge for me as a child psychiatrist when you know I'm treating pediatric patients is that there are things that parents can do with the school. Like you can re- re- uh, request a 504 accommodations. You can ask for your child to be pulled out for testing. You can ask for your child to have seating in the front of the classroom if they have attentional yes, issues. Yes. You can ask for a slew of things, uh, you know, like educational supports. But the issue is that like a parent and a doctor and a teacher can work together and do all that. Um, but then the child is like, well, I don't want to do that because yeah. I don't want anyone to know that I'm getting all these things. And you're like, well, we just spent months getting this set up. We never asked the kid what they wanted. <laughs> it is so true because in their mind, they just want to be, they want to be normal, what they can quote unquote normal. And like, it is normal. It's just normal. So there's a whole continuum. There's a whole continuum and everyone has their own issues and needs. And we want to best address your individual need. And so what works well for you may not work well for someone else and vice versa. Um, But there's a resource available because kids just don't like to be different. They don't. And it's very hard. And we see that with kids, whether it's something, whether it's an emotional need, a mental block, or it could be someone who have even a physical, I've had kids who are diabetic. And that is also, that would be, that, that was a typical, 
very difficult situation to go through too, because like, I just want to be different. I don't want to be different. I want to be like everybody else. And then would not take their shots or not check their blood. And you would think like that would be such a, a clear thing that you would think like a, a rational, of course you would want to do that. No. Nope. And their minds, no, I just want to be like everybody else. I'm like, well, being diabetic is not like everybody else. And you have to regulate. And there are some things that are physical that you have to do for your life to, to be healthy. So it's really interesting for kids. The way they see the world is not the same way that we see the world as adults. And our rational thinking is not the same as their rational thinking. And we have to keep that in mind. It reminds me, um, a couple of years ago, I treated a, fam- a family that the child had ADHD. They didn't want to take their medication because they didn't want to be taken out of the classroom so that everyone saw that they would get their meds, you know, and so forth. And the, 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 the parents were so frustrated. They were like, you're so smart because it has nothing to do with IQ. You could be a genius and have mm-hmm. ADHD. You're so smart. You can't use your talents the way that you, you want to because your attention, your focus, your organization's all over the place. Don't you see if you took your meds and you do well in mm-hmm. sports because focusing, you know, on the sports field is the same as focusing in the classroom. Don't you see all these things? The child was like, nope, I don't want to be different. So I had to explain to the family that a child sees rejection as being worse than physical pain. Yeah. The parts of the brain that light up when you and I get hurt physically badly lights up when a child perceives rejection. So it took a lot of, okay, we have to work with this child and we ended up using a medicine that could last all day that they could take right before they left, you know, for school. We had to work with that child because the child has to be on board. We have to take into consideration how they feel. Absolutely. And that's, to me, that's like, the, and you were listening and you were like, it just not trying to press upon it. it has to be this way because you have to listen to the child and be receptive and not hearing, like truly listening to what they're saying, because you need to understand where they're coming from. And sometimes you just, it takes a while to get there because they're not necessarily saying in a way that you would understand it. But if you're truly listening to them, like, oh, I get it. I, I see it. And what's important to you as an adult is usually not the same thing that's important to them as a child. Like you think of it as like, oh, that's silly. But in their world, it's the most paramount thing that exists and to be disruptive to that would be like the end of the world to them. And in the immediate moment that that is their world, they don't see their future the same way as we see that we, they don't have that life experience. And it's really hard for, for parents to understand it because if you're not working with children on a regular basis, you forget what it's like to be a child, unless like, but you know, teachers, psychologists, doctors, people in the medical, but you see kids on a regular basis. So you, you understand it because you see that day in, day out, you know, year in, year out. But for a parent, you know, digging back 20, 30 years, you may have forgotten what it was like. And then also what it's like to be a child in this time period versus before. It's a very different childhood experience as well. And we only have a couple of minutes left, so I want to use your expertise as a parent because you have three beautiful kids and they're older now, right? So mm-hmm. um, how, do you, how do you continue to parent older kids? Some of them go to college and they're leaving the house. Like, what are some tips for people who are parenting older kids? You know what? It's interesting because I used to think uh, once my kids were out of elementary school, middle school, especially, they don't need me anymore. I find that my kids need me 
just as much or even more so now that they're older because the stakes are higher. The stakes are so much higher. What I thought were a bit high stakes before, <laughs> no, they don't count. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is totally different. I'm totally needed now because when they mess up, it's a big mess up. And um, part of it for me for parenting, it's allowing them to have ownership of their actions and their consequences. Um, and I tell them like every choice has a consequence. So you think deeply about your choices and I can't clean up your mess. Um, that's you own that. Um, but at the same time, I want to make sure you're successful. Uh, I think also one of the things I was just, I think I was telling you before, my youngest son, we were talking about the importance of learning and schoolwork. I am a big believer. I love education. I have a doctorate. I, I love learning. But at the same time, I'm not one who's fixated on GPAs and for the sake of teaching for a test. I've never been one of those people. I love to learn. I want my kids to love to learn and to be lifelong learners. And my oldest, my youngest son said, I see, he said, I thought everyone had my kind of experience growing up with, with parents, with going to school. He's like, I did not realize how many of my, my friends had so much stress from their parents who wanted them to be perfect students. He's like, you never wanted that for me. I was like, no, I wanted you to get the best education you could. I think an education will set you for life. No one can take that away from you. I'm a big believer in education, but a grade does not define you. A GPA does not define you. Um, I want you to find the school or the college of your choice. I want you to make life choices that are good for you. And your success is different from my success. Of course, I want you to, you know, to achieve the best, but that's going to look different for each. All of my kids went to different schools and they all found schools, which are great. I, I, it drives me crazy when I go together with other adults and they're just trying to impress each other with the names of those colleges and universities that kids went to. I'm like, I don't need to do that. I went to college and university. I don't need to impress anybody. I want my kids to be successful in life. And I look at them and they all do their own thing. Like they're all still studying, not because I forced them to, but I've let them to figure out who they are for themselves. By doing that, I allow them to also, we have a lot of open communication. We talk frequently but I also listen to them. I have very different relationships with each and every one of with each of three of them. So it's boy, girl, boy, they are all very different as far as their personality and their traits. And what I do, I make sure I have very intentional time to spend with them as individual kids. So I develop um, interests, like whatever their interests are, I try to find something I can connect with them for each one. So my youngest son is anime. We talk about anime all the time. <laughs> my oldest son, it's sports. My daughter, it's a lot of it's in performing arts and fashion and things like that. Well, there's something for each of them that that's our thing. And it's important for kids to be able to see one that you're fallible, like you're a human being. And I, I can say when I make a mistake, I'm, they know I'm not right all the time. I know I'm not. I can laugh about it. They can see me laugh at myself. I'm a human being. But it's also important for parents just to let kids be themselves and figure out who they are for themselves and accept that and like, and not try to invent a mini me. Like it's okay for them to be themselves. Yes. They're not you. They're not an extension of you. They're an individual. And I never understood it when I heard parents say, when you're, when you're 18, you're on your own. I just never understood that because I, I'm a psychiatrist and I like, I see patients every day, but I still call my mom and dad for advice. You know? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Don't say that. I still call my mom all the time. <laughs> 
advice to my mom. And I say that. I'm like, no, I don't want them ever to think that they're on their own. Like, no. Um, you take ownership of your life, but you're never on your own. You always have like you could like you always have the support network. That's what we're here for. I want to see you even be successful and thrive. I, I know when people say that, I'm like, ooh, don't say that. I feel wounded. <laughs> You are, you're just so wonderful. I'm so happy to have you. I mean, this is hopefully not the last time because your expertise is just so abundant. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you. I just went by so fast. I'm like, we're done. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. I'm just getting warmed up. It's always up. fun when we chat. <laughs> and I'm so glad we had, and you know, it's so funny when we met. I told my kids, I was like, oh my gosh, I met the most amazing people. I talked about you. I was like, it's so good to meet p- other people and get connected. And when the kids see you doing that, they were like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. So, so that was one of the best things I've done in a long time. I'm so glad I had a chance to meet you. It was really good. Oh, when I told my daughter I met you, she was like, because <laughs> she was like obsessed with dance moms. She was like, stop it. Stop it. And I showed her a picture and she was like, I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So Dr. Holly, is there anything that you have coming up and where can we find you? Please let us know. Oh, thank you so much. Well, as I mentioned just a few moments ago to you privately, I'm going on um, a trip to South Africa with my three kids and my husband. I'm so excited about that. So um, I hope people will follow along with all of my adventures in life of education and my podcast called Because Mom Said So on my Instagram at Dr. Holly. And um, Facebook, it's, you know, Dr. Holly Hatcher Frazier. So I'm all over. If you look at Dr. Holly, you will find me. And I've been on your podcast. It was so much fun. You have to listen to it. It's one of the Oh, we love you. We learned so much. We're still quoting you, by the way. <laughs> Dr. Judith said. <laughs> <laughs> You spoke to us. <laughs> it was so much fun. Again, my daughter was like, and who else was there? And who else was there? We were all there. So thank you. <laughs> so welcome. Well, thank you. Enjoy your trip. You're going to have a fabulous thank time. Thank you. Thank you for the tips. I'm going to let you know. I'll, I'll text you and let you know yes, what happens. Yes. Okay. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.